Welcome to Insights and Indicators. I'm Jason Thomas, Carlisle's Head of Global Research and Investment Strategy. And in this podcast, I share our observations and opinions on the economic landscape, as well as insights from research being conducted by our team here at Carlisle. Today, we're discussing the outlook for real estate in the United States, and I'm joined by Rob Stuckey, Head of U.S. Real Estate here at Carlisle. This is a great privilege for me. Uh, Rob is not only one of the most well-regarded real estate investors in the world, but he's also taught me quite a lot about systematic asset pricing and the practice of investing more generally. So I'm really very glad uh, that he's joining me today. This episode was recorded on November 3rd, 2023, and the discussion reflects composite portfolio data and analysis of recent government reports that are accurate as of that date. Before I get to Rob, just a word about what we observed in the portfolio over the course of October. I, I would say, you know, first, it's been said that U.S. economic data this year has been surprisingly strong. And, you know, that's interesting because I, from our perspective, the real story of 2023 has actually been the absence of surprises of a sort that would cause us to alter our GDP growth estimates. And consumption in particular has been remarkably consistent from what we've seen over the course of the year. And, and as, as we've said on previous months' shows, much of that, I think, it reflects the extent to which households have been hedged against this interest rate shock, largely because most of their liabilities consist of fixed rate mortgages that, of course, have not adjusted up with base rates. Now, this is not to say that our estimates have corresponded precisely with those of the U.S. government. Over the last 12 months, the growth rate that we've observed or estimated has, has been about 100 basis points short uh, of, of the cumulative rate of growth, uh, at least again, as estimated by the U.S. Commerce Department over that time. But much of it is, is really attributable to the weakness in industrial orders. Uh, we have a very large portfolio, but, but of course, it's still very small relative to the broader economy. So when we algorithmically weight our data to, to try to model GDP, of course, it's going to ascribe more significance to industrial orders and industrial activity because they're the most cyclically sensitive, the most informative. Uh, over the last 30 years, industrial orders have explained about 80% of the quarterly variation in GDP. So to have weakness in the industrial sector to the extent that we've observed at the same time that GDP has accelerated is, is actually very unusual. Only about 15% of historic observations and, and just about 6% of those occurring during expansions. So, you know, I, I think that this does provide somewhat of a mixed picture going forward. I think that's why the Fed decided to remain on hold in November. And I think it's become clear to market participants now that the Fed has done hiking rates. How long they remain here is really anyone's guess, of course. But it does seem that there's likely to be some change in circumstances over the next six to 12 months, uh, where there's at least some members of the FOMC that, that start making the case for taking rates in the other direction. So uh, we will wait and see on that. Um, but let me turn to Rob. So when we're talking about U.S. real estate, I think we have to talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, we know that from our data, travel, tourism, live events, you know, all these experiences, categories that were so depressed during the pandemic, during the era of, era of social distancing, have either fully recovered or risen well above pre-pandemic peaks. And, and that also includes seated dining. Of course, many of those restaurants uh, in those surveys are, are located downtown in central business districts. 
But yet, despite this recovery and all these hard-hit sectors, office attendance remains stuck 50% below 2019 levels. Rob, what is, what's the outlook for office going forward? Uh, we believe that the pandemic accelerated technological trends, and one of those technological trends uh, was the enablement of work from home. So we believe that work from home is uh, a permanent aspect of professional life, which means that office occupancy will not fully recover in the near term. But we acknowledge there's a lot we don't know about that. And the more accurate way to answer the question is to say there's a wide range of possible outcomes. For example, in Manhattan with Class A office buildings, uh, cell phone data is uh, revealing a recovery to pre-pandemic levels. So there is some optimism in in certain pockets of the office market. However, even with a full recovery to pre-pandemic levels, which won't happen in most markets, we believe that the office market is weak for structural reasons. And it was weak before the pandemic. And there's been incremental supply uh, since then. So a recovery to pre-pandemic demand levels would result in even a lower occupancy level than the suboptimal level that existed before the pandemic. Do you have any uh, estimates or, or, you know, some people are suggesting that there, by 2030, there will be a cumulative decline in office collateral values of, you know, between 30 to 40 percent, which, you know, seems very dramatic. Do you have any view on uh, the magnitude of of potential value declines? Now, I think uh, in keeping with the comment that we just need to acknowledge what we don't know, uh, that's squarely in that category. Um, So there's a wide range of possible outcomes. There's about $1.5 trillion of debt secured by office buildings. So a 30% decline would still probably be manageable within the financial system. And that's really the important question is in a draconian scenario, how much pressure would we see on lending institutions? And the common thought is that um, banks and other lending institutions will be able to absorb it. So, you know, my second question related to office is, you know, as we know, office accounts for over one third of major property indexes. How is it that you have no exposure to office given how large the sector is in, in, again, most portfolios? The pandemic revealed a structural weakness in the office market, which means the structural weakness was there before the pandemic. And there are four things that we consider when evaluating a real estate sector. The first is the fundamental demand driver for the sector. Ultimately, each sector is driven neither in large part by demographics or by GDP. And technology is another factor, and technology can shift demand from one sector to another. In the case of the office sector, the office sector is highly correlated with GDP, which makes it very cyclical. And technology has shifted demand from the office sector to effectively the residential sectors and to some degree the data center sector. Another thing that we consider is the sector's operating margins giving full effect to recurring capital expenditures. What's interesting is that many market participants in the office sector historically have not given full effect to recurring capital expenditures. And uh, we see landlords continuously reinvesting to retain office tenants. 
And if we give full effect to recurring capital expenditures, operating margins are quite low, which exacerbate volatility in the sector. We also look at tenant stickiness, and we just see that office tenants move around and pursue ever-increasing quality in the market. That implies functional obsolescence for Class B office space and makes uh, the recurring CapEx issue even greater. So there were some structural issues with the office market. Um, It was somewhat oversupplied before the pandemic, significantly oversupplied now. But even apart from uh, the suboptimal occupancy levels, uh, it experiences uh, low operating margins and a high correlation with GDP, which makes it more cyclical, as well as the secular headwind of technology shifting demand to other sectors. So, you know, as, as I mentioned at the outset, we seem to be uh, at the peak of the rate hiking cycle. We, we've thought this since the summer, but now I think this is something that has now been incorporated into the broader market's presumptions or thinking. Uh, but again, as I've said, how long we remain at these levels is anyone's guess. Well, looking historically, generally rate cuts and the scale of rate cuts are, of course, proportional to the observed weakness in real activity. The, the deeper the recession, the, of course, the larger of the rate cuts we see subsequent to that. Given this, how are you approaching next year? And, and where do you see sustainable demand growth that, that is actually likely to, to power through, uh, you know, again, if, if rate cuts arrive, what, what is likely to be a, a weaker operating environment? The key is to identify the underlying demand driver. And with real estate, we believe ultimately each sector is driven either in large part by demographics or by GDP. And demographics are somewhat inexorable and predictable and persists even during cyclical downturns. Now, not every sector is completely correlated with either GDP or demographics, so there's usually a mix, and the two are somewhat related ultimately. Uh, So we need to take that with a grain of salt, but there are tendencies, particularly in the rental residential sectors, and there are four of them, multifamily, single-family rental, manufactured housing, and active adult that we favor uh, because the uh, respective age cohorts that support each of those sectors are growing and predictably growing. And and separately, there's a generally a shortage of housing in the U.S. Some estimates as low as 2 million homes and some estimates as high as 5 million. So people need to live somewhere and there are too few places to live. And also, we see that Rental housing offers an affordable, attractive value proposition. The monthly cost of renting a home is $1,200 lower than the monthly cost of owning a home. This is a record disparity favoring renting a home. So for those reasons, we think the rental housing sector will have persistent strength even through a cyclical downturn. We're also optimistic about the industrial sector. E-commerce adoption is increased significantly over the last 10 years. Um, Currently, 22% of all retail sales is handled through e-commerce, and that's expected to grow to 30% by 2030. And that increasing adoption of e-commerce is going to occur irrespective of whether we have recessions. So that will support industrial demand. Historically, the industrial sector has been highly correlated with GDP, but because of e-commerce dynamics, we think that correlation has reduced. Um, 
still a high correlation, but somewhat extenuated by e-commerce. So that's a, a sector we favor as well. So, Rob, before I let you go, just one one additional question. Um, you know, I have a theory that uh, just wanted to get your views on, which is that to the extent that the there is declines in the value of of office space in the United States, it's largely because the economic activity is now occurring at residences, as you suggested. This this technology again transferring economic activity from the office to the home, and so if if that's the case. Wouldn't one presume that this is actually not going to be just value destruction, but a transference of the value from the office to the home, uh, and, and that there actually may be an increase in the market value or capitalization of residential properties as a result of this shift? Yes, I, it's certainly hard to quantify that, but that's the concept that uh, we're expecting and it's occurred to some degree already, and we believe that therefore creates an increment of demand that may not be accounted for in the rental residential sectors and also the data center sector. The data center sector is experiencing record demand levels in part because of accelerating technological trends as a result of the pandemic, and but also because of um, artificial intelligence and the implications of, of that on data centers. Great. Well, Rob, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and sharing your insights. Thank you, Jason. Well, on behalf of the team here at Carlisle, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us again for the next episode of Insights and Indicators.